Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where this time we're both here. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Both of us! I thought you were going to leave me hanging. I'm glad that you actually said something. Uh, today I, we're I, talking... I didn't even think about it. <laughs> today we're talking about uh, a bunch of other stuff from when we were away for a few weeks. We had some weeks off when we recorded early. So we did all of our quick hit episode type of things last time. And uh, this time it's more of the in-depth, like the things that we actually want to talk about, that we knew the other person would have something yep. to say, basically. And we've, we tried to, we hated that we had to do last week like that. Things just came up and life came up because the stuff that we're wanting to talk about this week, we can have such a good discussion on that that was one of the reasons we wanted to do this two weeks in a row because like, I want to like really talk about Persona 5 with you because I've been getting messages a lot on Twitter. I've been just having all sorts of people talk to me about it and i've have so many thoughts about it that i just don't even know how to put together that I, I really want to finally be able to have at least a partial conversation about that yeah no okay let's get into it because i want to hear about persona 5 also because like i've been trying to get you to play it casually <laughs> yep. i haven't been like bullying you into it but i keep telling you that you'll like this and it's good you got to get around to it so you did and you like it basically right i did it took me so long to get into it, though. It was, it's nuts how, how into Persona in general, not even so much just the, uh, just Persona 5, because I tried Persona 4 and it was fine. And I never really went back to it, thought I'd lost my save, but I found it and all this. And I just never could really, really grasp, you know, what was so special about it. I got Persona 5 on sale. And so I'm like, okay, I'll give this a shot. Everybody keeps talking about it. I started thinking about it more. And I, I I dived in and at first it was like okay this is so stylized that I don't know if I can play it and then I got into it and got through that first dungeon it was the first palace that when I finally got through all of it that it really did gel together like that you're supposed to do these dungeons in multiple days that uh, that you're not supposed to necessarily plow through it uh that it's really a stealth game that you're really uh, pushing forward uh, in increments. And I really, really liked that. And then once I realized that it was like, I loved the social aspects of it. When I was not in the dungeon, the, the, the really the life sim part of it surprised me that I liked it so much that I really did not think I was going to like that as much as I do. I'm glad that you stuck with it through the intro because like these games have super long intros the two personas i've played which are four golden and then five like there's so much up front and that was like i almost bounced off of persona four golden when i played it but after i got through the intro and i think probably after i beat the first dungeon um that's where it like hooked me and i got the loop so it sounds like you were kind of the same way i don't think you were as likely to bounce because you have more patience for these kind of things than i do but yeah yeah, it's truly like there's a huge intro. There's a lot of text and dialogue and story building and kind of world building, too. Um, and then the first dungeon, you start to kind of see the edges of like the freedom and like what the social links are all about and kind confidants yeah. and stuff. But yeah, it's not truly until you beat that one and then you get some like freedom and you see the true structure of the game like that's where it shined for me and then i just loved it from there forward yeah what really got me about this one what really kind of irritated me and i thought was like this game is brilliant don't get me wrong that is not i'm not saying anything about that that overall it is absolutely brilliant but i don't understand the decision to make everything so linear and limited at the beginning that it feels so uh so so confining that 
it didn't seem fun that if I was limited the way that I was in the very, you know, first six hours of the game, that why would I want to play a game like this that I literally had no choice on what to do? It was on rails more than probably any other game I've ever played. But after that, it's complete freedom that it's almost it's not quite open world freedom, but it's whatever you want to do. Just go do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they make that decision. It's Maybe it's just because the series has always been that way. And sometimes I've noticed with like Japanese developers especially, if they have a formula that works, they hesitate to stray from it. I mean, just look at like right. Dragon Quest, right? It's probably <laughs> yeah. some of the same thing going on there, um, especially after like Persona 4 Golden like exploded over here. It was like... It, it didn't it was never one moment where like everyone was talking about it but i feel like it slowly gained this traction over the course of like three or five years on the vita yep. after it launched and people were like oh have you tried this have you tried this and i was probably on the later end of it honestly because i picked up a vita near like the end of its life which i guess still it's technically alive but we all know it's not um yeah and yeah, it's like they had success with that over here. So then when they were making five, maybe they were like, well, there's a huge intro. Maybe we have to do a huge intro again. But yeah, it's speculating. I would love to know what they were actually thinking and like why they structure it that way. Yeah, I mean, even in Persona 1. So I, I like this one enough that I fell in that I'm roughly 30 hours into it now. And uh, I stopped playing it because I uh, it was Christmas break and I needed to uh, like it was on the TV. It's on PS4. And so we only have one TV. So my wife was wanting to do things. We use the PS4 as a media center, everything. So I couldn't even use the Vita for remote play. So I started playing Pokemon games and uh, I'll get into that much later. But uh, so I've, I've kind of paused on this one before I go back just because I've been on holiday break. And uh, but the the thing about being 30 hours in is there is still so much game out there and so much that I don't understand that that I'm just looking at it and like the story is just now getting to the point where there's more to it than just the simple adults are bad kids are good that they're they're just dropping hints that there's more stuff going on and I'm 30 hours in and through the uh third dungeon waiting on the uh, change of heart well part of it too that you have to keep in mind is that the game is like commentary on things that are happening in the news in japan and not just the news but like culture right. so True. a lot of the situations in the game are culturally relevant to things that are happening in japan or that were happening as the game was being developed mm. where we wouldn't necessarily like get those references because we don't have the same issues but it it directly ties out to that kind of stuff. You know, it would be like making a game set in the United States while kind of seeping it in the U.S. cultural influences and what's going on in the real world over the course of de developing that game. So there's like a lot of subtlety there with, yeah, it is kind of adults are bad and kids are good. And that's probably the core of it is that like adults can really ruin the world for people when they aren't behaving right. in, you know, like in good faith and with... I guess, you know, in the terms of the game, like with a clear heart or whatever, you know, they have yeah. to steal their heart. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's part of it is just it's a different culture. So like some of that's easy to miss. I'm really hoping that as the game moves on, they kind of dig in with more of uh, more traction with that and really try to get to the meat of some of it. Because in the beginning of the game, there's a character who tries to kill herself because of sexual assault. And it seems like that was never really given the the gravity 
that it would be that that once they once they accomplish what they were doing in the metaverse through the palaces and the gameplay it almost seems like it was it wasn't okay but it wasn't nearly as big a deal and uh, it just feels like they could have touched on it more rather than moving on directly and i know that part of it is gameplay but for such a a character driven game that's the really the only thing that's bugged me so far is some of the stuff feels uh, almost surface level just to move from one point to another and to so, justify things. So what you'll find is that if you dig into certain characters, like the companion characters, um, your confidant levels, if right. you get further along with some of those, it goes back and it ties into main story elements that you might have feel got glossed over. Okay. And yeah. because I love the confidants. Like, I didn't think that I was going to like them. I thought this was going to be a real pain and that I would not want to go through building these relationships. Those kinds of games have never appealed to me one tiny, tiny little bit. And then I'm this and I start liking these characters and I find out like they have a bad home life. And I'm like, I want to know what's going on with you. When the maid showed up and, and they wanted to, to, to order the maid, uh, that happened. She's my favorite confidant so far that uh the maid is that one anytime i have an opportunity on a friday or saturday night to be able to call the maid i'm like yes let's do this i will spend my money let's do it and it's like i don't know what it is yeah no it's always interesting to see who you gravitate to because like i the second time through i don't think i could have said like who my favorite confidant was the first time through i knew who some of my favorite characters were but like them in the context of being that confidant and the confidant level and progressing through the story um this second time through as i'm playing even though i've been on pause here for a few months as stuff was coming out but i was really paying attention to like which of the confidant stories am i liking and i think i like the doctor's one a lot that one's resonating with me more than the first time i played it hers is also one of them that i make sure that i make time for the three that i'm working on like not even in terms of gameplay but wanting to know the story is uh they're on the doctor and the maid are the ones that i care the most about in terms of just telling me that story i want to know what's going on yeah for sure but I, i okay i need to know what do you think of the style of the game it is absurd that I love it now. When I first turned it on, when I literally first turned it on and tried to navigate menus, I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this because literally everything on screen is animated. That the background is moving. It's like there's a parallax layer that's moving. The menu itself changes in the colors uh, invert themselves as you move up and down these menus and they magnify like a Mac doc. And I'm just like, I don't, I can't tell what's going on at any given time. And once I got used to that, it's beautiful. I love it. But it did take me a little while to figure out just how they had everything set up. And going back and looking at that playing part of Persona 4 that uh, when I was playing P4G, it was it was so stylish. And now it looks almost simple because of just how absurd they how absurdly they've stylized persona 5 yeah i mean 5 takes it to a whole nother level 4 is a good example of it 3 they still had style 2 if you go back and look you can kind of see like they pick one color per game too to be the Mm -hmm. dominant color so it's like 3 is blue 4 is yellow and then uh 5 is red but yeah Uh, that's just like at a glance i mean there's so much more that goes into it and all the detail and that's why i still think it's the most stylish game that i've ever played in my life Mm -hmm. like i love it and that's why i like that art book that you sent me which thanks again that was awesome um 
it was so cool. It was so cool to see all the art behind it and all the thinking behind it. That's actually one of the reasons I started playing this game. Whenever I saw, I, so I was doing all the research, I ran across it and then started reading up on the Japanese version versus the American version and all of this, or well, the English version rather. And I was seeing all of the reviews and the people being so passionate about the art and, and the game and just the way that they talked about these characters. That made me go to the PlayStation store and and wait on the game to go on sale again. Because I knew that Christmas was coming up soon. There would be a holiday sale and it would drop. And like within three Three days it did so i mean i grabbed it then but it was because of the the community's passion reading about these art books the people who go above and beyond it sounded wonderful and it really has it, it is i completely understand why people engross themselves in this series now because i really want to do what you did and uh, play the series in order from beginning to uh well five and then go back and do uh one two three and four uh yeah because of... i did that with final fantasy not with persona let's just be clear you right. know this but just for clarity for listeners um i've only played four and five for persona but yeah final fantasy was one that like i don't have a whole lot of series that i really have dug deep in and truly love as a whole series that i would go back and replay uh but final fantasy is the one that like I did that with and I'm so glad that I did and persona I I love what I've played to persona I would easily go back and play four again at some point I'm replaying five right now I keep wanting to give three another shot but I would I don't know anything like three and before in this series it feels like it's not quite they haven't quite sanded off enough of the rough edges that it really works for me but again you have more patience than me these days in gaming so I think you could have a really good time if you did that and so I, I think I think that's actually the reason that I can do this is because I have a way higher tolerance for both boredom and tedium than you do in some cases if I have a good goal in the end. And uh, so I can sit through some I can sit through some garbage if I know that the end result is going to be fantastic. So like I bought uh, Persona Q, which is the only Nintendo Persona. It's on the 3DS and uh, Persona 1. I, gr- I grabbed them over the break to, to really try and see what I wanted to play because I was looking for handheld games at the time uh, before I got into Pokemon. And Persona Q is really, really good. It's one of those first-person dungeon-crawling, uh, like, draw-your-own-map kind of game. And it has either the protagonist of Persona 3 or Persona 4. So it kind of takes place in this weird limbo between them. And, like, it's really good, and I'm so going back to, to finish that game once I get through both three three and four because I started with the persona three character and uh, because I didn't know anything about him. It's really neat how the, uh, how that one's laid out. Like, have you ever played any of the Etrian Odyssey games? Yeah, no, I actually tried persona Q. Like it's basically Etrian Odyssey, but with persona characters, I just, I'm not a big fan of that type of game, but I can see how you would really like it. I don't, I didn't know if I was going to be a big fan of it. So I actually downloaded the demo of Etrian Odyssey 5, which I knew that was based on uh, the engine and everything. And I didn't like the party making system, which I knew wasn't part of the, uh, the Persona game. So I went into the dungeon and fought around for a little bit. I was like, yeah, I think I'd like this with Persona characters. And uh, the style is definitely there in Persona Q. It's like a quirky version of, of 3 and 4. And so I liked it. Persona 1, however, super rough. Oh my goodness. I really, really don't know. It's on the Vita. There was a PSP remake of Persona 1, so it it is available now on, it, on the PS uh, 
PlayStation Store, and it is super rough. I it think there's is, a remake on mobile too. You could check out. It, That's even more recent. Oh, really? Because yeah. it Persona One. I, I may have to check that out because it is absolutely an early PlayStation One game. That there, it was released in the U.S. as Revelations Persona, and it got garbage adapted and translated. It did not do well over here. They changed a Japanese character into a black character, made them speak a bonics. Like they ruined everything about what made Persona Persona. And then they've done this, and apparently it's a very good. These are good new translations of them. But the gameplay is so weird and different, and it just throws you in. And there's not a lot of of narrative threads that tie things together so i'm not sure how long i'm able to stick with it so we'll see on this one i'm doing my best to to push through it and see if it gets any better after the initial section on this one because it could but it's got just enough of the foundational level of what i love about five that it could just be too much for me it could just yeah. be too rough and then move on into two which i've heard is actually probably the quote unquote best in the series just in terms of like storytelling and the way that things are done cool well i want you to report back once you get into them but you got to beat five first i know you're, i do you still five is absolutely it the only reason i was even in one in queue is because jennifer had the uh the playstation 4 and i wanted something to do on the couch <laughs> okay fair enough um the main thing that i did not mention last week that i want to bring up this week I don't even know if there's a lot of back and forth while I run through this, but I'm more, I want to get your reaction here at the end. So I played a bunch of Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> Overbreak, and it's one that like I didn't know if I'd go back to it. And I think I mentioned this in one of the earlier episodes that like we played through, we like rapid fire played a bunch of games and just like tried them towards the end of the year because we wanted to get them like right. in our, you know in our heads for like game of the year discussions. And I don't really play games that way anymore for the most part. I try to have like one primary game that I'm making progress on. And then I have a couple like backburner evergreen games that like if I don't feel like playing my primary game, I have something to just like mess around with, right? That's like yep. usually how I structure my play for gaming these days. And when I did that and I tried so many different games in like the space of a week or two, um, I didn't know which ones I would ever go back to, but I kind of left them all on the hard drive just to see what would happen. And I went back to Red Dead Redemption 2 and it's there was something there that I just I needed to see it through. And I wasn't hate playing the game, but I wasn't loving the game either. It was just like, I have a goal. I'm going to beat this game. I'm going to see the credits. And I needed to get that done. And I did. I feel so proud of myself <laughs> for doing it. It's so dumb. <laughs> it it is dumb don't get me wrong that 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 it is but i know exactly what you're talking about because i've done the same thing yeah and I, I completely understand that feeling and the thing is like i beat the game and i saw the credits but oh man so when you beat the game like you beat the main game and then it throws you immediately into an epilogue and what i quickly found out because i was like wait how long is this epilogue because this game has been slow it's like an eight hour epilogue maybe more just so weird like so you, maybe two hours yeah so to actually see the credits you have to play through all of that which would basically be a standalone game in like any other place it, it's just mm -hmm. crazy so i beat it i mean even just going back into it when i was probably 50 percent of the way through the story i was so over the gameplay but i wanted to see the end of the story um i do think this is the best rockstar story that they've ever written and i think that arthur morgan is the best character that they've written um, it's just buried behind gameplay that i know we've already talked so much about that it's like slow it's repetitive it's very touchy with the controls there's all sorts of complaints so it's like it's buried behind that but 
but Arthur Morgan himself is such a interesting character and there was something with that that hooked me too i wanted to see arthur's story through to the end um the one of the things like for the epilogue that oh it's been months can i talk about it how spoilery is it i'm asking you for, uh, do you feel uh, like this is spoilery if i talk about the epilogue of this game probably a little spoilery but if you can stay vague like I, okay if, i don't know the characters I'll so stay i mean vague. as so, people who are what I, I had heard that there was an epilogue to this game, which I don't think is a spoiler at this point. It's pretty well known. Um, I was really, really hoping that it was going to be Sadie Adler that you take over that character, right? Because the epilogue is a different character than the main game. And that's kind of okay. what they had done in the first Red Dead Redemption. So again, not really a spoiler, not really surprising. I was hoping it was going to be Sadie because she grew so much as a character throughout the game. And like I was like, oh, I would buy an expansion pack just for her, like her story, more of her. And it was not that. It was a different character, and it was the character that I basically cared about the least for a variety of reasons i'm gonna leave it at that because right. anything more it, would be you, spoilery um yeah you told me about that one um, yeah. about who you actually played as yeah and it didn't feel like it was needed at all the character that they chose they could have chosen sadie instead and i feel like it would have been a better story so that was one thing also i didn't appreciate the fact that it was eight extra hours of play and it was kind of extra boring compared to the rest of the game um especially not having arthur there because you know arthur only goes through the end of the main game uh not the epilogue and then the the thing that i came away from so like i stepped away from the game after i finally saw credits after i beat the epilogue and i thought about it and it seems to me like there's a masterpiece of a linear 20 hour game somewhere buried in this 60 hour open world game and 60 hours being crit path mind you if you do anything off the crit path i know people who have put hundreds of hours into this game that are still at like 20 percent in the story like they've barely that's, done anything that's insane that is crazy how big this game is it it's ridiculous I've only, and i've only heard things i've not actually touched this game and i still stand by the fact that there's nothing that pushes you to do the open world stuff at all there's nothing there's no incentive there's no like driving force there's there's such a linear story that they're pushing you along that i always felt like the most important thing i should be doing as my character was to go do the next story beat so that's what i did uh. and like even though it shows you some of like the open world activities because occasionally you'll have a mission where one of them is like here's a new thing you can do or here's something you might not have done before after that mission, I would never feel a need to go do it because I I latch on a critical path because it feels more accurate to the story that they're telling. And I just saw that through to the end. And there's this huge open world that I never really explored. And I tried. I tried a couple times, especially after the end of the epilogue when the game just completely opens up. There's no more story. Go do whatever you want. I tried to find the fun and I couldn't. Like, I, it's impressive. I was constantly impressed by what they did for this game and the world that they created, but it's still not fun. It wasn't fun to me. Um, and then the other thing that I have to mention is that the mission structure is just miserable in this game. <laughs> it it becomes so repetitive so fast. Uh, I would say 95% of the missions follow this structure. You ride a horse for a long way, while maybe if you're lucky, you'll have a character riding with you that you can talk to about something, half the time that's not true half the time you're just riding alone in silence um and then eventually you get to a point where you meet up with a character you get to a place for whatever reason things break bad there's a shootout you do the shootout you escape that's the mission and almost every mission in the game follows that structure like there are some that are out of the norm but that's the majority of the game and it just feels like they're they didn't need so many missions 
and they didn't need to go everywhere that they went in the story to tell the core of the story that was super interesting because the story was good there was there were pieces of the story that again with some major editing this could have been a really good tight linear game that's probably in the 20 hour mark i still think that that's possible the way that you describe the quest structure really kind of reminds me of what you would expect out of the open world side quests. That you do something like that, these are the kinds of quests that you get, these are the missions that the NPCs will give, but it doesn't, that really doesn't just sounding like, to me, it does not sound like a, a main story kind of, of structure because I don't see how any kind of story could really progress through a repetition of those steps. Yeah, and a lot of the story progression happens at the very beginning of a mission or the very end of a mission or like when you get to camp before the mission starts off or when you get back to camp at the end of the mission after you escape from the bad situation that you got yourself into, basically. So the story is almost ancillary to the action of the missions a lot of the time. And that's another reason where I feel like you could have done so much editing to just cut out unnecessarily unnecessary pieces of it and still gotten the core of the story the piece that's interesting is this just a rockstar thing because i don't play rockstar games so is this how they tend to do their storytelling it see i haven't beaten a rockstar game in a while but i feel like the other ones that i've played have more interesting mission structures but a worse story And this game has a much better story, but much worse mission structures. So I don't know what happened. Like, I honestly have no idea. Was there any kind of development rush or anything to get this out? Because I know they did the teaser, you know, was it last year or the year before? No, there's no development rush on any Rockstar game. It's a company that it's done when it's done. They spent like 10 years on this game or something, some ridiculous amount of time. And and it shows. I mean, from everything I've heard about it and seen from all the uh, the glitching, the seen from all the glitching videos it it's been worth that but it's weird that they went with a structure like that that uh doesn't seem to fit the the kind of of game that they're making yeah but i had i had to bring it up one last time because i defeated it i defeated that game i beat it It, it's not even that i finished it i beat that game like i saw the credits (laughs) it is done I do not have to ever start that game again if I don't want to, Um, and I might not, but hey, I finished it, and I feel good about that. So let's take a quick break before we dive into a couple other thoughts about like some movies and stuff from over the break Um, with our Geeky Offer of the Week. Why don't you tell people about Patreon? We have a Patreon, you guys, and I just wanted to remind you that you can go to patreon.com slash geek to geekcast and look at all of the reward tiers, see if there's anything there that you would like. And if there is or if there isn't, you can uh, support us on the podcast by becoming a patron. We have a lot of cool stuff and we're working on putting together even cooler stuff uh, coming the rest of this year. Uh, And one of the things that you can get uh, for being a patron is you get a real nice thank you and this week our real nice thank you goes to aaron thomas thank you thank you thank you aaron we love you thank you <laughs> aaron thomas well said um don't forget about the rest of the network geekitude with ray vargas and joe hogan uh they always have interesting conversations sometimes interesting guests tea time with katie and chelsea same thing they have interesting conversations and sometimes interesting guests that's not a very good summary (laughs) but we are recording ahead of time so i don't know what they did this week which is usually what i like to talk about i don't have that um the other thing that i kind of announced last week but i wanted you here too is that we added two streamers to the network and i think like we're both super excited and the rest of the network is excited too to just be expanding like outside of podcasts in a way not that we there's anything wrong with podcasts we love it but just like 
more people that are already part of the community and adding them to, hey, here are cool people creating interesting things, basically. Which is the entire reason that we thought about this, is that we have a couple of guys who were doing good stuff, that they were already, they were already, like you said, members of the community, and that their stuff is just straight up good. They're good at what they do, and we think more people ought to be able to watch them. Yeah, and I mean, this is kind of how we've added everybody to the network outside of Rob from the comic box was an exception because he was a college roommate of mine that I know that he knew production and I knew that he could deliver on any kind of show that he pitched. And we made sure that we were happy with the show he was pitching. But like um, I had I had seen that his skills were proven before he launched it. Everything else is like people were doing it already and we just wanted to feature it and wrap them in and build a community with these people. So. Uh, Capsule J, he is streaming on Tuesdays from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern time, and then sometimes on Thursdays and weekends, kind of randomly. Um, the other announcement from him is that he's still in charge of the Anime Club. He's still our moderator on Reddit, and he wanted me to tell everybody that the Anime Club is kind of switching to a new format. They're going to do a film of the month going forward instead of like ongoing series. January's film is a historic drama called In This Corner of the World, and it's available on Netflix. So you have all month to watch that, check it out. Um, go on Reddit or the Discord and leave your comments and just join the conversation, basically. And then Troidal is awesome. Troidal's like, he's doing a ton of streaming every week. He's on most weeknights, and it's like sometime after dinner is kind of his normal time. <laughs> yep. um, there's not like a strict this time to this time, but I feel like every night I see him streaming, and that's kind of what he's doing. It's It's awesome to see him dig into different games and different ideas of what he wants to do for small series and things. Yeah, and I really like the on both of them because I will I will open up Twitter when I'm just kind of ready to scroll around and I'm not a, a stream watcher I don't really like watching game streams so I get on Twitter and I see one of these guys uh, have having posted that they're going live and no matter what game they're playing I'm going to watch it like I'll sit there for a few minutes talk in the chat and then watch it because they're entertaining that uh, it's I really like small streamers and I really like people who don't just uh, stream things like Fortnite and Call of Duty, which there's nothing wrong with that, but those don't entertain me as a viewer. So seeing somebody stream The Legend of Zelda or uh, or uh, what was it, Blood... Was it Blood Soaked, Curse of the Moon? Blood, Blood Stained, uh, I think. I don't remember. It's the one that was the Castlevania game you beat. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. I just know Jay was streaming it. Yep. And uh, it, it was really cool to watch that because I haven't played it. Uh, and so seeing what these games are or getting that nostalgia back, those are what I like out of game streamers. So seeing that both of these guys are doing that, it's just they're the ones that I watch. I think we might have a promo from Troido. Um, if we do, I'm going to drop it in right here. Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch. That was our quick break to talk about the network. Uh, the other things that we want to talk about were a couple movies. So you said you've been like rewatching the Harry Potter movies and you had some thoughts, right? Yeah. So like Jennifer uh, got the Blu-rays of the Harry Potter movies for uh, for herself on Black Friday. And we we we've been sitting down to watch them. And 
she had a girls night a while back and i believe i mentioned it where i went to see uh crimes of grindelwald by myself while she had a girls night and uh, i watched the first fantastic beast movie before that so uh the only ones that we haven't watched at this point are order of the phoenix uh half-blood prince and the two deathly hallows movies but we even caught the the last three quarters of Deathly Hallows uh, two on one of the TV channels when we were watching it one night. So we've pretty much gotten through the meat of the Harry Potter movies at this point and going back, and I haven't watched them all in years. I, I may not have watched any of them in years, actually, but I'm noticing that they all feel so different that especially the the beginning ones when they were actually changing directors that it's I'm sad that they changed because David Yates started in Order of the Phoenix. That Order of the Phoenix is my favorite of the Harry Potter movies to watch. I love Order of the Phoenix. And David Yates knocked this one out of the park. And then he did so well that they hired him back on for uh, Half-Blood Prince. And he is still the director to this day. Like He did uh, Half-Blood Prince, both Deathly Hallows movies and both Fantastic Beasts movies. And as far as I know, he's going to be the director for the other three uh, Fantastic Beast movies. But what is missing? Like, I feel like they've lost something because of that. Like, I don't have that sense of wonder that I got out of watching the Quran movie. That when I was watching Prisoner of Azkaban, it was such a technically sound movie and and Newell in Goblet of Fire had, there was just so much uh, wonder and Chris Columbus in with uh with the first two of them really felt like harry potter they felt so much more magical than the david yates ones do and i don't know why because i like those movies a lot and i like his direction but he is way more of a standard filmmaker and i don't understand why they made that choice Hmm, that's interesting. They were doing so well, like at changing it up. But they, uh, when they landed on somebody to stick with, it was by far the most milk toast of any of them. That uh, it was, he's the safe bet. Well, that, maybe that's uh, why. Maybe because it's a safe bet. But I was actually, be. I wanted to recommend you a series because I watch movies with Mikey, and I know I've talked about it before. But he yeah. just wrapped up a series of three videos that were about the making of the Harry Potter movies. And really all of these decisions that were made and the directors that changed and basically like the things that you're talking about right now, he covered in a three part series that just oh, finished wow. like a week ago. So I would highly recommend watching those. They're super interesting and they touch That's, on all of this kind of stuff. I've now got it pulled up in a tab on my computer so that I can uh, send it to my wife. We watch we watch YouTube a lot. Well, I've probably mentioned that to you, that we watch YouTube a lot like TV, specifically for content like this. This is one of the things that we we watch a lot of. And uh, so thank you for this. This is Thank you for this. That's the exact kind of thing that I want to want to find out about. Sweet. That's good. Um, the other movie that we both wanted to talk about was Into the Spider-Verse. So yeah. you were super oh, excited. I was like, yeah, I might see it maybe. That, that was kind of <laughs> how we were going into it. But um, there was a day that it just lined up where like I my kids and I were both home and none of us had anything to do. And then my wife needed the house for a few hours. And I was like, ooh can I go to Into the Spider-Verse? And it was available and it was like, okay, let's go. So it was totally unplanned, which that almost never happens because like so much of your life is planned when you're coordinating four people's schedules in a household. Yeah. Um, and it was great. Like we just went to the movies and all three of us loved it. So 
I thought it was super stylish, and that was one of the things I loved about it. But it was just, it was fun. Uh, my kids liked it, and it was great to like experience with it or experience it with them. And I walked out of it just like super excited for the sequel, really excited for more. And it made me want to read more like Spider-Verse comics or maybe even mm-hmm. finally try to get into Miles Morales, which I never have really given a shot, which I just haven't gotten around to it, right? It's one of those things on the list that like, yeah, someday, eventually. Um, yep. And then I should also probably catch up on Spider-Gwen because I always liked Spider-Gwen and I don't think I read all the way to the end because they weren't done the last time I checked in on comics. Right. They did finish it up. They finished up the runs and now there is a new one that is out that started about two months ago, three maybe now, where uh, that's called uh, Ghost Spider that they're doing. That's a Spider-Gwen comic that's tying into the Spider-Geddon storyline. I don't know if it's an ongoing or if it was a mini, but I'm hoping it was ongoing. And yeah, I haven't even done any Spider-Geddon stuff either. So I'm probably overdue for that as well. But I just, I loved it. It was such a good movie. It was a good comic book movie. It was a good superhero movie. It was a good Spider-Man movie. It was like all the things, right? And it was a great animated movie. Yeah. Like it's, it's perfect. Like not in terms of story. There are things that, that every, you know, everything has, has issues, but this animation may be the perfect animation in my mind that that it is experimental that they went all out and and they leaned in on the stylization and what they were doing and everything Jennifer got me the art book for uh, for Christmas actually I don't know if I told you that or showed you the uh, Sydney pictures but the uh, the the art book for into the spider-verse and so it talks about a lot of their their decisions and why the animation is like this and it was so mindful and everything that they did was so purposeful on how they animated it and put these different styles together that to me, it's this is the kind of, of animation and film that I like to watch because it's it's breaking the mold in a way that I'm I'm I can't wait to see people emulate this. That this is the style of animation I want to move forward uh, in the future. That this is to me this is perfect. So they did a bunch of interesting things with frame rates in the movie yeah. too, where they'll have. It, there's a lot going on. I really want to watch the movie again because I'm sure I'll pick up more the next time I watch it. And that says a lot, the fact that I want to watch it again already. And I only saw it like right. not even a month ago. Um, but they do things where like the background might be moving at one frame rate and then the characters and the action on top of it is moving at like a different or slower frame mm-hmm. rate. And it gives these really strange but interesting and like visually, like, I don't know. It, it's It's almost visually jarring but yeah. in a way that like the entire movie is visually jarring on purpose to give you something unique that you've never seen before. Yep. And they use it in ways to kind of lean into the comic bookiness of it in a way that no live action superhero movie could ever do without being cheesy. Like nope. there's just no possible way to do what they did in this animated movie in a live action setting without that you're going to break it. Like there's no way you're going to hit the right tone. Right. Um, where it just works. It just works here. So I want more basically. And I do need to rewatch it because there was so much and like visually and what they're doing with the storytelling, there was just so much to absorb that it really does need probably another watch. Yeah. I think, I think I actually need probably another two before I could really wrap my mind around all of it. And one of the things you were talking about the frame rate and the background and foreground and with the characters that I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and watch it, but I'm fairly certain that there are scenes where even different characters are moving with different frame rates. I wouldn't be surprised. 
That, because that I makes know, a lot of sense. I know that they have different characters with different uh, animation styles where they will sell shade some of them and they they I don't even know what the, what to call it like where, where they they dot print others with a different kind of texture um, but the way that they do the animation is different they compose they com- they're composited together and so I'm fairly certain that they're running at different frame rates and it's just weird. But it, but it works. It works, it works so well because they did it on purpose. That, yes. that they knew what they were doing. This isn't me throwing a movie together and you looking at it being like, uh, you did all sorts of stuff. This is one you're looking at. It's like they did all sorts of stuff and everything works. Well, and that no time is wasted either. So I know that you no. mentioned and you have in the notes here that like it, it's an origin for Miles, which we've talked so much about how like origin stories were so over those, you know? But I think that it didn't bother me because nothing in this story is wasted. We're in no. so many movies that have an origin story. They take so long setting it up. And on any subsequent rewatch, it's just a waste of your time. Like all of the stuff leading up to when, okay, the origin's done. Now we can actually get into the real story that they want to tell feels like yep. a waste. And that doesn't happen in this movie. Like every shot is so intentional. And there's this one shot that's stuck in my head where it's the one where he's sitting at his desk with the headphones, kind of like singing to himself and singing badly and only knowing some of the lyrics. Um, It's a combination of the way that it pans around his room while keeping him in view. So you're seeing his room, you're seeing his living habitat, you're hearing his parents in the background, you're hearing his music from the headphones. And you also are hearing like his singing, but kind of awkward singing and kind of not knowing the words. It is such an amazing piece of character development in Mm -hmm. one shot that lasts for all of 10 seconds, maybe that that one sold me more on the movie than I don't even know. Like, I'm sure there are other pieces that do this, too, but that's the one that's stuck in my mind as amazing. And we were watching a on that on that topic. We were watching a YouTube video last night and then reading articles and all sorts of stuff. Jennifer and I were having this discussion about how in animation we were talking about Brad Bird and because she loves the Incredibles. Y'all know that. And he one of the things that sets him apart and that he was really revolutionary for was the use of the camera in animation is that he didn't set up animated movies and the shots in them like typical animated movies he used the camera as though it were a live camera and that's something that that makes every every shot feel different from Brad Bird because he actually can uses it like you would uh, in any other movie instead of it just being a cartoon like some people do and um you know dreamworks does doesn't do a whole lot of innovation in that that even though i really like their movies and i think this movie does it as well it's an animated movie but it never treats itself like an animated movie it has those shots that you don't expect like the one in his bedroom like that that is entirely camera work not anything else and if they had done it like a traditional animated movie it would have had a completely different style than them doing it like a pan around uh like the camera was on a uh I don't even know what the thing is called, but the uh, actually moving the camera around him like that. And the thing is, it's not just the the camera movement in that scene, which is why that scene particularly stuck in my head so much. It's like they're using the camera movement, but they're also using the animation of Miles and the way that he's interacting with stuff to give you a feel for who he is as a person in his life. And then it's the setting like 
there is so much in the background of that shot that you see in his room that tells you about him as a character, plus the parents that are like further in the background as audio and noise. And I don't know, it, it was just such a good piece of like character building, scene setting, world setting, all at the same time that I was I was kind of blown away by that shot. It's one of those times where like sometimes even when I'm in the middle of having fun with a film, my video production brain kicks in. Um, sometimes it's in a bad way. This was like in such a good way that like I I flash analyzed that shot and I was like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, and and it's rare that it's a good thing. So so that is astonishing, really. Yeah, it's so good. And I love the music in the movie that that whenever I heard anything from the soundtrack that I sat and listened to all of the credits because I like the movie. I like the music that that's that's the reason it was like I didn't want to leave because I wanted to hear what they were playing. And at the very end of it, you got Spider-Man Christmas song sung by Chris Pine. And it made me happy, which is an album that you can now listen to on Spotify. Yeah, it's hilarious. They, uh, the uh, but I love the actors too. That that all of the people they cast, they did so well with John Mulaney as Spider Ham. He is Spider Ham. That uh, Jake Johnson as the uh, the main the primary Peter. He he's one of my favorite actors anyway because he was one of the main characters on New Girl. And so listening to to him be Peter is like, yep, that's that's what Peter would be at that point and uh, chris pine as the other peter and uh it's just uh, nick cage as spider-man noir it's and H- Haley steinfeld as uh uh, uh spider gwen like all of these people were so meticulously cast that you hear their voice but at the same time it's just the voice of that character it, yeah. it was it, it was, was really very well done really well done to to pick voice actors like that not because of who they were not only because of who they were but because of of how they were able to to bring that character actual character instead of just being a voice like i'm all in on spider-verse it's such a great movie you should all go watch it uh that's probably it for this week you guys can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek2geekcast we also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast and we also have great discussions on slack and discord and you can go to discord.geek2geekcast.com or slack.geek2geekcast.com to hang out with us and like we said earlier we're part of a network so you can go to geek2geekcast.com to see all of our shows I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's, and I blog at geekfitness.net sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, we've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeks. We're back. Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, 
and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello, friends. This is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch.